We're looking at 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verse 12, through to 23. Now, King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched him from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in, in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked, in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me, rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be here together uh, in your presence. Thank you, Father, for the song that we just sang before our Bible reading time and our sermon time. Uh, Father, it really contained uh, much of what you want us to hear this morning. Father, please take my lips and may they be filled with only messages from you. And Father, may on the throne of our lives be the, be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, truth about God, the living God. When believed and taken into our lives, it's meant to move us. It's meant to, to change us. It's meant to turn our lives upside down. Life becomes different. We have truth about God to believe together. We have truth about God to live out together. We have truth about God to tell others about. Truth about God means that life can never be the same. When a person changes and you notice a, a really uh, big difference in their life, don't you want to know why? I do. What happened to you? Why are you so different all of a sudden? 
Well, this is what really confronts us in our passage from the Bible today. When we left them last week, King David and God's people were struck, were stuck in a place of fearful uncertainty. But as we continue on in the verses this morning, we, we find them giving loud voice to an intense and, and, and clarifying joy. And I guess the big question that this passage from the Bible wants us to be trying to answer is why? What happened to them? What made the difference? What brought about the change all of a sudden? Well, today's passage from 2 Samuel 6 is part two of last week's passage. They go together. 2 Samuel 6 is all about King David's decision to bring the Ark of God into the city of Jerusalem, David's city. The city where David would rule as Israel's king for a period of about 33 years. Here is a picture of the Ark of God. Way earlier in the Bible, back in the book of Exodus, God told his people to build this Ark. God told them exactly how it was to be made. This Ark of God was to be a powerful symbol of God himself. God the God of holy love, was to be there in the midst of his people. And God told them where he wanted this ark to be put, right at the heart of the tent that God had also told his people to make, which would symbolise God's royal dwelling among his people. The ark of God was a box made of wood, about 120 centimetres by 60 centimetres by 60 centimetres. It was overlaid with gold the ark symbolised the covenant relationship between God and his people. Inside the box with the stone tablets that Moses had brought down from the mountain, written on them were the Ten Commandments of God. God was their king and Israel were God's rescued people. They were rescued to know and love and obey God. By bringing the ark to Jerusalem, King David was making an important statement. From this time on, Jerusalem, the city of David, was to be known as the city of the living God. And David was saying, even though I'm king, I am really king under God. God's the real king. He's the one with the real power. He's the one with the real right to be honoured and obeyed and trusted and worshipped. But as we saw last week, it all went terribly wrong. I wonder if last week, if you heard the the sermon, whether you were deeply challenged like I was. Do I take God seriously? How awful it is to have a casual attitude toward God. How dare I think that somehow God is answerable to me? Where is the trembling joy in my life that is so right in the presence of our holy God? King David had to learn this lesson the hard way. If he was to be God's king over God's people, the fear of God had to be the all-important foundation in his life. Deuteronomy 17 verse 19. And that's what's so beautifully attractive about our King Jesus. He will delight in the fear of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 11. When Jesus cried out to God the Father... 
He was always heard, Hebrews chapter 5 says, because of his reverent submission to God. Well, may God make each of us as beautiful as Jesus in this very way. We were left last week with King David and the people of Israel in a state of limbo. Their first attempt to bring the Ark of God into Jerusalem had failed. The fearful uncertainty they felt is expressed so helpfully for us to think about and to ponder in our own lives. In these words spoken by King David, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Indeed, that's right. How? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Yet a few verses later, just a couple of verses, this is what we read. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. What's happened? From fear to joy, from being unwilling to being willing, a renewed joy had filled David and God's people. Why? Well, the whole of verse 12 gives us the answer. Have a look. And here we see a truth about God to be believed, to be taken into our lives, to be embraced with trembling joy. Now, King David was told, and here's the important truth. The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has. Why? Because of the ark of God. See, David, hearing this news, it brought about this action. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Being told here that the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom links us to a truth about God that is central to the whole Bible. It is the truth about God's unbreakable commitment to bring his saving blessing to the whole world. This is God's unstoppable plan, which shows us why God is so glorious. God is committed with a steadfast love not to leave our world cursed, broken, hell-bound because of our sinful rejection of him. From the very mouth of God himself in Genesis chapter 12 comes God's promise to bring his blessing to the whole world and to all the people in it. In Genesis we are told that this blessing will come to the world through a descendant of Abraham. Next week, make sure you are here. We learn that this person will also be a descendant of King David. Well, last week we learned that the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned above the, uh, in the wings of the cherubim, the holy angel on the ark, we, we were told he's not safe, but he's good. Well, today it is his goodness, his blessing, that is being lifted up before our eyes. In the big story of the Bible, God's good blessing is this. God sent his only son, Jesus, 
son of David, son of Abraham, into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. John chapter 3. And this is because our God wants no one to perish. He wants everyone to turn back to him and to live. Ezekiel 33, 1 Peter 3. And God is so committed to this. He did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all on the cross. Romans 8. What more could God have done? God has raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus now sits enthroned as God's king over the whole world. Acts chapter 2. And all who call on the name of this Lord Jesus will be saved. Romans chapter 10. In other words, blessed. Blessed with the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Blessed with the forgiveness of our sins. Blessed with life with God forever. And many other blessings that come from being united to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Is Jesus Christ in his rightful place? Thanks be to God. Yes, he is. This is God's truth. That means life can never be the same again. This is good news for us to believe together, for us to live out together, for us to tell others about together. The story of the ark of God in our passage is a wonderful little reminder of this truth. Because after years of sinful neglect of the ark of God in Israel, it is at last restored, we're told in verse 17 of our passage, back to its rightful place in the tent. So too the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised up by God to his rightful place as God's true king. And so the question comes to us, that comes to me, is the Lord Jesus, God's king, in his rightful place in your life and my life? Our passage opens up a particular way of personally thinking through this question. Is the Lord Jesus in his rightful place in my life? If he is, there will will be a certain kind of rejoicing and joy evident in our life. And if he is, there will be a certain kind of lifestyle being lived out. So firstly, let's look at the certain kind of rejoicing and joy evident in our lives. In our passage, as the ark of God is restored to its rightful place, there is much joy and gladness. We see King David leaping and dancing with all of his might. We see the people of Israel shouting and sounding the trumpet. But our passage makes clear also that they had learned the hard lesson of their first failed attempt. We see that their joy is mixed with great care and precaution. Their joy is mixed with a right fear and a trembling before the holy God of love. Do you and I see having Jesus as our king as both a joyful, fearful thing? Are we glad to trust and obey Jesus? Are we fearful not to trust and obey Jesus? How convinced are we that a soul-satisfying, lasting blessing is only to be found when I am learning to say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done? 
Well, secondly, if the Lord Jesus is in his rightful place in my life, a certain kind of lifestyle will follow. On the outline, I have called this being clothed with true dignity. In our passage, we get such a stark, such an unusual picture of this, but it's a really helpful picture. And it's the description of the way that King David carries on as the Ark of the Lord is brought into Jerusalem. He's leaping, he's dancing with all of his might. He's, he's dressed, we're told, in a linen ephod, which is a little bit like an apron-shaped clo- uh, bit of clothing, uh, which the everyday priests of Israel wore. Now, whether this is all he had on is not made super clear, <laughs> but his wife certainly thought he was underdressed. She gives it to him both barrels. In fact, she's so worked up by this, we are told she doesn't wait till he walks in the front door. She goes out to meet him. Have a look, verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, and hear the sarcasm, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David's wife saw his behaviour as undignified, as vulgar. We are meant to see David's carry-on as a picture of true dignity before the Lord. I've always struggled in my life with being self-conscious. Once many years ago, at a conference, we had a guest speaker. I can't remember exactly what he was talking about, but I do remember he wanted us to, get, he wanted us to do an exercise which involved talking about ourselves in the third person. So, you know, let me tell you about Chris. Away you go. I can't remember why on earth he wanted us to do that exercise. There must have been a good purpose behind it. He asked for a volunteer willing to come out and do it in front of the 60 or 80 people that were there. I just knew he would pick me out. I was doing the whole don't look at him routine, don't look at him routine. (laughs) That's probably what got me in trouble. There I was, out front, 60 set of eyes on me. I just struggled to do it to talk about myself in the third person. One stuttering stuttering attempt after another as people grew increasingly embarrassed. I don't know what was worse. That scarring moment, stuck frozen in the headlights, or 60 people feeling so sorry for me, they tried to make me feel better for the rest of the conference. There was no self-consciousness in King David that day as he leaped and danced with all his might before the Lord. There was no concern that day what others might think about him. He wasn't performing for the crowd, wanting their applause. He was, as one old hymn tells us, he was lost in wonder, love and praise. As far as David was concerned, it was just him and God. David knew that this wonderful thing that was happening, the ark of God coming to its rightful place, was not about him. He was just glad 
before the Lord to be a person with no royal robes, no dignity in other people's eyes, no power, no prestige. Believe it or not, King David's carry-on that day is a picture of true humility. You wouldn't think so. It hardly seems humble, does it? But we get all mixed up about what true humility really is. It's easy to look humble, to play at being humble. In my struggle with self-consciousness, I might appear to others to be humble, but I've come to realise that at its root, my self-consciousness is all about pride, all about me and how others view me. A little book by Tim Keller has been really helpful for me. His description of true humility gave me one of those light bulb moments. And here's his quote. He says in his book, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. You see the difference? Keller goes on to say, true gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself, which is why I think Keller calls his little book The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. If the Lord Jesus is in his rightful place in our lives, our lives will be characterised by self-forgetfulness. It's not about you and me. It's about serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our might. If being lost in wonder, love and praise means we look undignified in other people's eyes, so what? We will be okay with that. A life of glad submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of true gospel humility might look to others crazy, oddball. But this is because not everyone sees that God has raised Jesus to his rightful place. And friends, we only can see that because of God's grace. We must never forget that. Well, this brings us to the tragic story of Michal, daughter of Saul. In our passage, she's not called King David's wife, but three times. Daughter of Saul, daughter of Saul, daughter of Saul. She is her father's daughter. Looking down from the palace window on David, celebrating before the Lord, she despises David in her heart. Just like her father Saul had come to despise David too. And just like her father Saul, Michal cared too much about the opinion of others. Her words to David, as we've read, are full of awful sarcasm. Let's hear them again. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. The slave girls of David's servants were on the lowest rung. Michal valued worldly glory and honour and status. But David, God's king, was to be a different kind of king with a different kind of glory. Look at his response. David said to Michal, 
It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. See, David knew he wasn't the glorious one. In his own eyes, David regarded himself as small, of little account. The word he uses of himself is low. David would not seek to be great in his own eyes. He knew he was only king because God had chosen him. And he doesn't see himself as a king. The word he uses for himself here is the word ruler or or prince, which kind of means leader. And the people that God had raised up for him to lead and to serve were not his people, he says. They were the Lord's people. God's goodness and grace to David made him both joyful and humble. In God's kingdom, this is true glory, to be joyful and humble. The glory of this king will be recognised, but not by the likes of Saul's daughter, but by the slave girls of this world. The weak and the lowly and the despised of the world, they will honour God's humble king. The kingdom of Saul versus the kingdom of David, God's king. Tragically, Michal chooses the kingdom of Saul. God had already passed his judgment on this kingdom. This kingdom had no future. Michal will not be able to bear children because there will be no place in the kingdom of David for the the kingdom of Saul-like people. Years and years ago, I benefited greatly from a talk given by a wonderfully encouraging couple. I don't know whether they're still alive. Their names are Dudley and Elizabeth Ford. They were giving us a list of practical tips of how to be a person who sticks it out for the long haul in serving Jesus. And on this topic, they were really worth listening to because they were living examples of people who stuck it out through thick and thin serving King Jesus in the long haul. I've kept my notes and I sometimes go back and look over them. They gave us 12 tips, very practical tips. Here is tip number nine. Learn to play to the gallery and audience of one, God. We all have a craving to win the approval of our peers and those over us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Please him no matter what. Jesus lived and died and rose again. He did all of this gladly just before an audience of one. But he did this so that we could gladly do this too. Live lives before an audience of one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your king, despised and rejected by people, but not by you. Thank you for the glory of his humility and the wonder of his love. Father, thank you that we can be in this together. Keep us gladly serving in his kingdom all the days of our life. 
Keep us with our hearts fixed and centred on pleasing only him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.